I invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, once again to Galatians chapter 3. Coming to the end of the chapter today, Galatians chapter 3, verses 25 through 29. And uh, the topic that we're going to consider today is our identity in Christ and why it matters so, so much for how we think and live as Christians. Uh, Before I read our passage, let me uh, lead us in prayer once again. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we pray that according to the riches of your grace that you would grant us to be strengthened by the Spirit that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith. We pray this morning that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and may Christ who is the image of the invisible God, the head of the church, the firstborn of all creation be preeminent in our minds and hearts today and it's in Jesus name that I pray, amen. Galatians chapter 3 beginning in verse 29, let's hear God's inspired and inerrant word. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one. In Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Some of you have maybe heard the story of a politician who was uh, trying to get votes and he went into a nursing home and wound up in an elderly uh, woman's room and talked to her for a little while and at one point, Uh, asked her the question, do you know who I am? Uh, To which the elderly woman said, uh, no, I have no idea, but if you go to the front desk, they might be able to help you know who you are. Uh, It's a story, and it's a joke, but forgetting your identity is a serious thing. Uh, Our identity matters. Uh, Our identity uh, shapes how we think, how we live, and to forget our identity as Christians can be disastrous. To forget who we are in Christ can have devastating consequences. So our identity matters, and in these verses, Paul is talking about that very issue. He's talking about our identity as those who are in Christ. And he wants the Galatians to understand who they are in Jesus Christ and and why it matters. Remember, it was a pressing issue in the Galatian churches because those false teachers that we've talked about so much were going throughout the churches and they'd come into the church and begun to challenge uh, these believers' identity in Christ. And their message was basically this, your identity is is not really 
found in Jesus Christ. It's found in you and your performance. It's found in what you do. Namely being circumcised, keeping certain food laws, and observing certain feast days in this case. But in response to that false teaching about identity, Paul is responding here, getting to the crux of what he wants to say, and he's saying, no, 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 no. Galatians, your identity is not found first and foremost in you and what you do. Your identity is found first and foremost in what Christ has done for you. In Christ, he says in this passage, you are all sons of God. In Christ, you are you are, you are clothed with Christ. You have put on Christ. And in Christ you are heirs according to the promise. So we need to, to know our identity as Christians. Because our identity determines how we relate to God. How we relate to one another. How we think about ourselves as Christians. And how we live the Christian life. It, it shapes all of those things. So that if our identity is distorted, we will not relate to God in the way that we are able to because of the gospel. We will not relate to one another as we should because of the gospel. And and we will not think of ourselves as we ought in light of the gospel. So think of these verses this morning as, as an identity reminder I think that's what these verses are here for, to remind believers of who they are in Jesus Christ and everything we have in Christ by faith. Who are you? That's the question. Who are you as a Christian? Paul is saying, Galatians, you've forgotten who you are in Christ. Remember who you are and live that way. Remember who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ and that reality should define everything in your lives. And my friends, isn't it the case that we need that same reminder over and over and over and over again as believers? We need to come back to who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ because of God's grace through faith. And we need to remember the glorious identity of those who are Christ's. So Paul explains in these verses who we fundamentally are in Christ. And I think he describes three dimensions of our identity that I want us to uh, think about together today. Notice, all of them are grounded in Christ. All of them are the result of the person and work of Christ. So what's our identity in relation to God, what does Paul say? You are all sons of God through faith in Christ. What's our relation then to one another? In Christ, Paul says, you are one. And what's our relation to the purposes of God in history? In Christ, you are with Abraham, heirs of uh, the promises of God. In his covenant. And so that's our outline for today. I want us to think about those three things. In the first place, what's our fundamental identity in relation to God? Look at what Paul says in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. If you are in Christ by faith, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, 
whether you're slave or free, whether you're male or female, you are a son of God. Now, as I say that, you know, some people will, of course, take exception to that language of sons to refer to all Christians, including men and women. That's why some of you might even have a, a translation in your uh, uh, scripture in front of you right now that instead of saying sons of God, says children of God. Now, for sure, in other parts of scripture, Paul does speak more generally of uh, Christians as the children of God. But the language here is sons of God. And I think, I think we ought to hang on to it. I think it's important. Uh, not because Paul is relying upon his contemporary Roman or Jewish culture and, and the idea that sons are heirs. I don't think that's primarily uh, what Paul has in mind here. I think that the reason he uses the language of sons of God is because Jesus is God's son and in Christ we are counted as God's sons. He's, he's connecting those things. In adoption, the language of adoption itself literally means we are placed as sons in the Son. So regardless of our gender, we're all sons in the Son of God, sons in Christ. And as we'll see as we move forward in Galatians, that has enormous significance for the Christian life. But let's begin to think about it today. What does that mean? What does it mean that we are sons of God through faith. One of the things Paul is drawing out from this in verse 25 is it means believers are no longer prisoners held captive under the law or as living as children under a guardian. If you were here last Sunday, you remember Paul uses those two illustrations to describe believers in uh, the Old Testament period from Mount Sinai until the coming of Christ. God's people were held captive under the law. Everything was imprisoned under sin. And they were disciplined by the law as a tutor would, as a guardian or a pedagogue would discipline a, a child in a family. All in order to drive people to Jesus Christ. But now that Christ has come, believers in Christ are declared not just children in the family, not just those under tutelage of the law, but full sons, full heirs of God's household. And I think this identity, it really matters. It, it revolutionizes our lives when we come to terms with what it means. It is an incredible, it is an awesome thing to know and understand that through faith in Christ, you are a son of God. Just think about what this meant for the Galatians for a minute. Remembering their identity as full-fledged sons of God through faith, it really gave them everything they needed to renounce the teaching of these Judaizers. False teachers who were telling them, look, if, if, if you really want to be accepted, if you really want to be uh, uh, in right standing with God, recognized as a member of God's household, then you need to supplement your faith with some of your own works. You need to add to your faith. 
in order to really be recognized and received as one of God's own. And, and Paul is saying, if you just remember, beloved, who you are in Christ, then you will not listen to and you will not submit to those lies that are telling you that you need to earn your status before God, that you've got to work in order to get a status with God. See, the message was, unless you're circumcised, you're unfit, you don't belong, you're unworthy. There's something you lack and there's something you need to do to really make yourself presentable and acceptable to God. And the Galatians could have said, that is absolute garbage. Get that out of here. I don't want to hear it. It doesn't belong in the church of Jesus Christ because it's a false gospel. And it's contrary to our identity in Christ. Our trust is in Jesus, the Galatians could say. And in Jesus Christ, we are full-fledged sons of God by faith alone. So I think, this is, I, I think this is one of Satan's dirtiest tricks, friends. I really believe that. I, I think he will try to accomplish this in, in all kinds of ways, many different ways. He'll, he'll try to get you to focus upon your, your weak faith, your, your failures as a Christian, or he'll bring false teaching or distorted teaching into your life. But at the core, at the base of what he is trying to accomplish is he wants you to forget your identity in Jesus Christ. He, he, he wants you to experience identity amnesia. Uh, he wants you to forget uh, everything that is yours in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Satan is seeking to accomplish in the lives of believers because he, he knows that if you forget who you are in Christ, it can have disastrous consequences for how you live. So brothers and, and sisters, I, I, the message today is really simple as we work through this text. I am trying to encourage us as a church and as individuals Let's remember who we are in Christ and let's make sure that our lives are shaped and determined and defined by the reality of our union with Christ. That's what Paul is driving at here. You have an identity, my friends, if you're a Christian, that you didn't earn. You are already fully accepted, fully adopted uh, by God through faith in Jesus Christ. You're a, you're a beloved son in God's family, not because you did something to earn God's favor, but because you are in union with God's beloved son. So there's nothing you need to do to earn that status. There's nothing you need to do to qualify for it other than be related to Jesus Christ through faith. Paul also wants us to understand and know that it is because God has adopted us as children that we're able to cry out, Abba, Father. He's going to talk about this in the next chapter, but I couldn't wait to get to it. So I'm going to say something about it today. Isn't it so true? And as you get older, you have an increasing awareness of this. As a Christian, we are, we are nothing more than children who desperately rely upon our Father in heaven for everything. Don't you find yourself as a Christian on a regular basis crying out, Father, I need you. Father, I am desperately in need of your care and your provision. Uh, if you haven't experienced that as a Christian, just you will. <laughs> 
You know, my, my, uh, my daughter Karis, when she gets hurt or when something scares her, you know what her, you know what her immediate reaction is? Daddy. And she runs to me. And that's what we do as Christians. And that's what we can do as Christians because of our union with Jesus Christ and because we are counted sons in the Son of God. Paul will say in the next chapter, in verse 6, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Isn't that a great Trinitarian text? God has sent the Spirit to dwell in us, the Spirit of His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we cry out from our hearts, Abba, Father. The great work of the Trinitarian God is that we would know that we are the sons of God through faith and we have access to God in heaven through Jesus Christ. We're full-fledged sons in Jesus. And you see, Paul Paul wants that truth to sink into our minds and to get into our hearts uh, until we really begin to see ourselves as sons of God. Until that identity really grips us and begins to shape how we think and live. Paul is saying Galatians and he's saying to us, this is who you are. God is your father. You are one of his beloved children. And I want you to think about what this means. One of the consequences of being Counted a son in Jesus Christ. How does Jesus explain it in John's gospel? It means this, dear friends, that the same love and tender affection that Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, knows as God's son is also poured out upon us in union with him. We know the same love that the Father shows to Jesus. Isn't that an incredible thought? We are brought to share in the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. No way does that diminish the uniqueness of the sonship of Jesus Christ, but it, it, it's about the privilege that is ours in the gospel, counted as sons in Jesus Christ. It means God cares for you. He knows about your needs better than you do. He disciplines you. And as we'll see later today, as children, we are heirs of a glorious inheritance. Inheritance that is being kept in heaven for the children of God. We have a, we have a treasure as the children of God that is better than anything that this world could possibly offer to us. We'll come to that inheritance in just a minute. But come back to verse 26 just for a minute because there's something I, I want to make sure that we understand today. I want to make sure we, we get this, that it is by our union with the Son of God that we are sons of God through faith. Say that again. It is by our union with the Son of God that we are sons of God through faith. I think Paul makes that so clear in verse 26. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And you know, that's, we've, we've seen this over and over again in Galatians, that Paul's favorite way to talk about the Christian is they are someone who is in Christ. Those two little words, 
uses them something like 160 times in the New Testament and other phrases similar to it. It's packed full of meaning. And his point in this verse is that our identity as sons relies entirely upon our relationship to Christ, namely our union with him. And his point in this verse is that Christ stands at the very center. God's beloved son is at the very center of our identity as God's beloved sons. Some of you know there's a book out right now called Sons in the Sun. That captures so well what Paul is saying here, doesn't it? That in God's beloved son, we are counted his beloved children. And so Jesus stands at the center of it. And this, has, this is so much more than a mere legal change of status. It's certainly that. Right? We go from being children of wrath to being declared the children of God by a declaration of God. But I want you to understand that adoption is more than that. It is profoundly relational and life transforming. It means that God now relates to us in an entirely new way. It means that God now relates to you as one of his sons. He relates to you as a tender, affectionate, perfectly all-wise father who cares for and disciplines those whom he loves. It means we have the spirit of adoption dwelling in us, living in us, and it means that what's true of Christ is true of us because we belong to him. It's an incredible reality when we begin to think about our adoption. And for Paul... Verse 27, baptism is a tangible sign that all of this is true when we trust in Christ. Baptism is a picture of that union that we have with Jesus through faith. Paul puts it this way, for as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. While Paul is, you see, while Paul is talking about identity, he can't help but talk about the believer's union with Christ. We're baptized into Christ. We're joined to Christ. And baptism is a sign and seal of that union. Of course, this verse can be misunderstood. Paul isn't saying that the outward sign of baptism is the way that you are united to Christ. Some would read Paul to say, you know, if you want to be united to Christ, then what you need to be is baptized. Because it's through your outward baptism that you're united to Christ. Well, of course Paul can't be saying that because he's been refuting that very kind of thinking throughout all of Galatians with regard to circumcision. That through some outward rite, somehow you could be brought into a right relationship with God. So of course Paul isn't saying that the outward sign of baptism unites us to Christ. Rather, Paul simply wants us to know that our baptism speaks to us about what God has done for us when we're united to Jesus Christ by faith. See, baptism visibly shows us that when we are connected to Christ, we have everything we need for life and salvation. He cleanses us of all of our sins. And with him we die to sin and are raised to new life because his death and resurrection are the source of our moral transformation now and our future bodily resurrection later. 
So, so your baptism is something that God has given to you to remind you of who you are. That you're united to Christ. That your sins are forgiven. That you're a child of God. That you've, you've died and been raised to newness of life in Jesus Christ. And nothing in heaven or on earth and all of creation can take away that identity. And after mentioning how baptism speaks to us about who we are, Paul, in that same verse, uses, another, uses other language to describe our identity. He says, For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, or you're clothed with Christ. You've probably heard before that the clothes make a man. You've heard that statement before. Clothes make a man. That's true of a Christian. That is absolutely true of a Christian. Because, why? Because Christ is your garment. Paul is saying Christ is what you wear. You are clothed with Christ. Just think about that imagery. Christ is what you wear every day in union with him. The moment you wake up to the moment you lie down throughout the night, Christ clothes you. Well, what does our clothing tell people? One hand, it tells people something about who we are. I mean, isn't it true? All clothing is like a kind of uniform that says something about uh, our gender, our job, our hobbies, our status, and so on. So to say that Christ is our garment, that we have put on Christ, is another way of saying that Christ is our identity. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, as Paul says. And that means I now stand free, forgiven, accepted, changed, child of God, co-heir with Christ of all the covenant promises that God has given. I think another dimension of this, though, is being clothed in Christ also means our acceptability to God is Christ. Our acceptability to God is Christ. Uh, another statement that I'm sure you're familiar with. I don't, I don't, I'm sure they're still out there. You've seen the signs in restaurants. No shoes, no shirt, no service. Are those still used today? I don't remember seeing one recently. No shoes, no shirt, no service. In a very real sense, brothers and sisters, that's true when it comes to to entering into the presence of God, isn't it? I mean, we cannot enter into his presence if we are improperly dressed. If we're naked or we're clothed in soiled garments. You understand I'm not talking here about real clothing. What's the gospel say to us? What's the good news of the gospel? The good news of the gospel is God does not leave us naked and ashamed. He does not leave us to our filthy uh, rags. Instead, in the gospel, he clothes us with the most beautiful, glorious garment imaginable. Which is Christ himself. And John Calvin says about uh, these verses uh, that when, when God looks upon us in the sight of God, Christians bear the name and person of Christ and are viewed in him rather than in themselves. We're accepted because we have put 
on Christ. So when God looks upon you as one of his children, he sees the beauteous splendor of his only begotten, righteous, resurrected son. That's what Paul is saying when we put on Christ. So if you're a Christian, what is your identity in relationship to God? We are sons of God through faith in Christ. But secondly, what's our our identity with respect to one another? Our sonship in Christ, notice what Paul does here. He says our sonship in Christ brings us as a people into unity with one another. It makes us one people, equal heirs of God's promises. Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, our union with Christ establishes our communion as the people of God. That's what Paul is saying here. He wants us to know that we share a spiritual equality before God in Jesus Christ. Paul is rejecting any kind of elitism that is so prevalent in the world, so prevalent in religions of this world, and sadly sometimes so prevalent within the church of Jesus Christ. And you notice Paul mentions the very things that divide people most. This is true throughout history since Genesis chapter 3. The things that divide people most, race, rank, and gender. Listen to this prayer. This is a, this is a, a Jewish benediction, okay, not scripture, coming from biblical time period. Listen to this prayer. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who hast not made me a foreigner, a slave, or a woman. You hear the elitism in that, don't you? I hope you do. Thank you, God, I'm not a Gentile. Thank you, God, I'm not a slave. And thank you, God, I'm not a woman. My friends, Paul rejects that. Better yet, the gospel rejects that outright. Throws that kind of thinking in the trash. It rejects any kind of spiritual elitism in the church of Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, as adopted sons... There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. And the point is that in the family of God, there are no second class members in that family. We're all equal members of that family with a right to all of the privileges belonging to sonship. So to suggest that any of us has a higher level of spiritual standing before God means you're denying and rejecting the gospel. And so to designate different blessings for an ethnic Jew versus a Gentile, Paul is saying, is to deny the gospel. Because in Christ, there can be no more racial distinction in regard to our standing before God. We're one people. Of course, Paul, Paul isn't promoting an equality that obliterates all distinctions. So don't misunderstand Paul here. Uh, the church is not a raceless, classless, androgynous society. It is a family of diverse people who, who are one in Jesus Christ. And being in Christ establishes a fundamental unity in which healthy diversity can be cherished and even celebrated. 
Being in Christ means our standing before God and our fellowship with one another. It's not based on racial identity. It's not based upon our social status. And it is not based upon our gender. It's based upon union with Christ. And in Christ, see, we are not like the world. We're not to be like the world in this way, divided by those things. Rich and poor. Divided by class. Uh, Slave and free, Paul says, are all one in Christ. An interesting thing to think about. I I don't uh, have any evidence of this actually happening. But hypothetically, in the ancient world, in the church of Jesus Christ, you could have a slave in the church who exercised spiritual authority over his master. (laughs) A crazy thing to think about. Because in the church of Jesus Christ, our standing before God, our position in the church, isn't based upon our social status. Rich and poor, we don't, we don't cander to the rich. We don't have you know, places of honor here in the front for the wealthy and you middle class folks sit in the middle and the poor get pushed to the back. No. And it also means that we do not relate to one another based on our social status, because in Christ, the family of God consists of rich and poor, slave and free, the poor, modestly paid worker, and the wealthy. They're all one in Christ. Paul also says in Christ, there is neither male nor female. Again, of course, gender distinctions remain. God created us male and female after his own image. So our God-given gender has implications for our God-given responsibilities within the home and within the church. Some people look at this verse and sort of superficially say, look, look, this means men and women should have a right to do all of the same things. But of course, that's that's not the point Paul is after in this text. It's completely foreign to what he's actually talking about. He is, he's not saying that there, there's no functional difference in the roles of men and women. Instead, he is saying there is no distinction in our standing before God. Men and women together receive the Spirit in full measure. Men and women together are counted righteous in Jesus Christ. Men and women are fully adopted into the family of God. Men and women together are are heirs of the covenant promises. Men and women are are gifted by the Spirit to to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in His church. Both have complete access to the throne of grace. Both in Christ are God's beloved children and full members of His family. So you see, Paul's big point here is that while ethnic, class, gender distinctions and their proper sense remain... They have no bearing on our standing before God and they do not divide the church of Jesus Christ because in Christ we are one. We are one in him. So our identity in Christ, we are sons and we are one. But there's one more thing here where Paul says we are also heirs according to promise. This is one more thing that shapes and determines our identity in Christ. We are Abraham's offspring heirs of a glorious, glorious inheritance. So what, what, what are you going to inherit? What is your inheritance as a, a believer? Uh, this, this past Thursday, Dave and I had the privilege of 
traveling down to Maryland and speaking at a conference in the prison down there and speaking to men about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I was actually, part of my assignment was actually to talk about this very thing, uh, the Spirit as a down payment of our inheritance. And I shared with the men some of, some of the aspects of our inheritance. And this week, I have just been overwhelmed with the sheer glory of it. Think about a few of these things with me. Let me just quickly point out three aspects of our inheritance. First, as a son, you're going to inherit the whole world. And we could just stop there, and that would be enough, wouldn't it? As, as a child of God, you are going to inherit the whole world. Romans 4.13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be an heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And you already remember from Galatians, Paul has told us, not offsprings, but offspring, who is Christ. These covenant promises were made to Abraham and his offspring, Christ. And now Paul is saying in Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ along with Abraham, you are heirs of this promise, heirs of a new heavens and a new earth. Heirs of a new world, Paul says. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Second, you're an heir of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. If children, if sons of God through faith, then heirs. Heirs of God. My friends, the, the world to come, it will, be, it will be filled with the glory of God. God will be all in all. And, and our, our, our most deep, profound joys will be found in him. And so, what's your inheritance? You're going to get the world. You're going to get God. And then the third thing we thought about the other day together is you're going you're to get a glorified body. It's part of your inheritance as a son of God. Paul says that in Romans 8, 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await or wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's a future aspect to our adoption as sons. The resurrection of our bodies. We're waiting for that. Paul says elsewhere that our bodies are sown in in weakness and, and dishonor. These bodies are subject to to sickness and decay and death there is there is going to be a day when no amount of exercise and no amount of healthy eating is going to preserve this body i'm I'm going to die paul says in, in, in his letter to the corinthians these fallen bodies they're they're sown in weakness and dishonor subject to think about where life often ends for us. Diapers and loss of control of bodily functions, lying in a hospital bed. And the glorious, glorious promise of the gospel is part of your inheritance is that the appearance of our Savior Jesus Christ, you will be raised with him with a glorified body, a body that is perfectly suited to live forever in the presence of God, and a body that will never experience the effects of the fall, the effects of sin, the effects of sickness, a body that never wants to sin. (laughs) 
I said to the guys on Thursday night, I don't know about you, but the thing I cannot wait for is that first moment when I experience what it is like to love God with my whole mind, heart, soul, and strength without sin in any way hindering our love and our worship. I can't wait. And Paul is saying that's part of our inheritance as the sons of God. Heirs of the world. Heirs of God. Heirs of a glorified body. So brothers and sisters, again, this was our simple point today. The gospel says remember who you are in Christ and live that way. Remember your identity in Christ, what you have in Christ. In Christ, we are sons of God, we are one in Christ, and we are heirs of the covenant promises. Take that and live. And if you're here today and your, your trust is not in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the message is just as simple. Look at what God and the gospel holds out to you. What do you have? What do you have of any lasting value today that you're not one day going to lose? And in the gospel, God comes to you in Christ and says, here, here is an identity that will never be lost. Here is an inheritance that can never be taken away. It's yours. It's yours through faith in Christ. Turn from sin and live. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are sons in Christ And that all that belongs to him now belongs to us. Help us to grasp what it means to be in Christ Jesus. That we are sons of God through faith. That you have bound us to Christ and to one another. And that together we share the hope of a glorious inheritance that is being kept for us. Don't allow these to be abstract truths, ideas in our minds, but instead truths that shape us and determine how we live. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.